Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome back to the... Uh, it could happen here. Yeah, that's the podcast we're doing right now. Uh, it's a podcast about how things are kind of falling apart, uh, but maybe they don't need to, or at least not as much as they have been. I'm Robert Evans. Uh, with me as often is uh, my co-host, Garrison Davis. Uh, Garrison, um, say something inciting to the audience. I'm on my second cup of coffee. Yeah, because it is that's it is the early morning for you, by which I mean 2.11 in the afternoon. Um <laughs> Also with us today, our guest for this episode is David Van Dusen. Uh, David, you are the president of the State Labor Council for the Vermont AFL-CIO, and there's a, a bunch of stuff that's interesting about your organization. We'll dig into it in more detail in a second, but first I just want to say hello and thank you for being on the show. Pleasure to be here with you, Robert. Now, David, the big thing, I mean, the the Vermont AFL-CIO has been in the news a couple of times recently. The most recent one is y'all issued a statement making you the coverage I've seen has said the first labor organization in the U.S. to like support gun rights. I mean, like as is stated in a lot of the stuff you've put out, like Blair Mountain, there's a long history of labor organizations sure. making use of the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. But um, I certainly haven't heard of a labor organization stating it the way you did, which is basically the, the case you've made is because 
far-right fascist organizations are so heavily armed and any all of the gun control policies being heavily debated, at least among liberals, are likely to ignore those people while restricting the ability of working class and particularly marginalized people to arm themselves. Um, you do not support those regulations because you support the rights of those groups to be able to defend themselves from uh, fascists. That more or less well, correct? <laughs> well, look, we believe in the right of a people to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. But our policies, including that one, are not adopted by the elected leadership, including myself. They're adopted by our members. We yeah. believe very firmly in uh, democracy, participatory democracy. So with issues like this, we're happy to bring it to our convention, which we recently did, and facilitate a full debate on the issue. So that's exactly what we did. We talked about it. Our rank and file members talked about it. They made amendments. They debated uh, passionately different sides of the issue in a respectful um, way, in a productive way. A number of amendments were made, they were adopted, and then ultimately the resolution was passed with over a two-thirds majority of our rank-and-file delegates in favor. So that's where we are right now. Yeah, I, I've read a, a bit about this, including, you know, there's been some critiques from um, a representative from the AFT, which is the, the local teachers union. But there was also a member of the Vermont AFL-CIO who, who essentially stated like, Hey, I didn't actually agree with this amendment, but or with this resolution, but it was made democratically, and like I, I, I support the the process by which it was done, which is one of the things I think is is so interesting here that this isn't like um, um, a kind of a group of activists at the top making declaration declarations. This is an organization that is really um, dedicated itself increasingly to. I think a kind of progressivism that we we haven't really seen in an organized way in a lot of the American labor movement until recently. Well, when you're talking about democracy within labor, I mean, uh, we could be just as well talking about democracy in society as such. The fact is, is that organized labor today is not particularly democratic. And we're looking to change that. And our world is not particularly democratic. Now, the vision that we hold, our slate, our progressive slate called United, is one where we increase the means for direct participatory democracy, both within labor and within our society. So of course, we're gonna to go to our members and our rank and file and ask them to debate the issues of our day and ultimately to make a decision uh, on these major political and social issues. Uh, this was one. We, again, we do believe that uh, people need to have a right, the working class needs to have a right to defend itself. And we can't bury our head in the sand. Anybody that's even followed a little bit of the news lately will know that between November uh, 2020 up until late January 2021, we were one general shy of a coup in this country. In the upside down world that we're now living in, it was because of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the head of the CIA not supporting a coup that a neo-fascist coup didn't totally uh, in full materialize in a more mature form. Let that sink in for a minute. Our democracy or the vestiges of the democracy we have in the United States right now is precarious. Uh, they Just because they've been there for 200 years doesn't mean they're going to be there tomorrow. The new playbook from an increasingly far-right Republican Party is to limit as much as they possibly could a people's right to vote and to participate in the political process. We see this happening in Texas. We see this happening in Georgia. We see this happening in Florida. We see this happening in red, uh, I shouldn't say red, but I should say Republican states all throughout the, the U.S. 
So these are dangerous, dangerous times, right? So dangerous that our top generals were trying to decide what their position would be and make plans uh, in case a coup, a full-on coup, not just a hint of a coup, came into being within the last year of our republic. Now, given those realities and given the rise of the far right, given that our former president, Donald Trump, told the neo-fascist Proud Boys to stand, what did he say? Stand back and stand by. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) And now uh, at least they claim to have 40,000 members around the United States and they are armed. Uh, You know, we can't just rest on our laurels and and pretend that the state as such is going to keep us safe. So uh, it seems prudent and reasonable uh, for us to have taken the action to say we defend our constitutional right uh, to bear arms uh, as intended uh, to defend our communities, to defend our unions, to defend the working class. And one of the things that because we were just talking about the, uh, the coup that very nearly got pulled off. Your organization, at least in uh, I believe it was right after the election in 2020, issued a statement that if the president illegally uh, attempted to stay in power, the former president, you would participate in an attempt to help organize a general strike. Now, that's something we talk about a lot on this show. We're big believers in the potential of a general strike. We're also big believers that the kind of general strike that we need to, I don't know, potentially get climate justice and a number of other major things is a an undertaking on par with the space race. You know, you're talking about an, an enormous task. I'm really interested in picking your brain on when we talk about a national general strike, what is the kind of infrastructure that's actually necessary to make something like that feasible? Because there's a lot of talk on like Twitter yeah. and Facebook of like, let's just do a general strike on this day yeah. in October. I, yeah. I, 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 uh, six months doesn't go by as president of AFL-CIO of Vermont, where I don't a leftist group of some kind contacted me to endorse their general strike, right? Yeah. The whole country is going to shut down on DATEX, and it's yet to happen, at least in our country. So that's a great question. A couple things. When we uh, voted, and again, this wasn't a decision of myself and the leadership. This was a decision we went back to the rank and file with, to, our, to one of our conventions. 87% of our delegates after our hour-long debate voted to authorize the elected executive board to call for a general strike in the event of a coup, in the event that there wasn't a transfer of power on January 20th, as the constitution requires. It was our feeling that in that very specific space and time, in that very specific political climate, um, we would be able to call for such a strike and with a serious amount of work and a serious amount of organizing, pull that off and make that happen. And the thought was, if we could do it in Vermont, because the call was for a Vermont general strike, then it could spread to other states, which would be absolutely necessary uh, if there was, uh, if our country descended into a fascist dictatorship of some sort. But generally speaking, when we talk about climate issues, when we talk about the fact that millions of Americans don't have health care or aren't paid livable wages, all of these issues, or at least these issues together, certainly warrant us looking at things like a general strike, but they're a bit, it's a bit pie in the sky to think that, hey, we got 10 great issues that we want to see progress on. We're going to call for a strike and it's going to happen. The infrastructure is not there, nor is the political will within the large labor bodies at this present time. Without participation from organized labor, first of all, I don't think anything's going to happen. So you're going to have to achieve buy-in at a certain level, but even with buy-in from uh, key leaders or even a localized shop stewards, you still need to have infrastructure in place. 
So one of the things that lacks in the AFL-CIO as a national organization, we don't have an effective network of local union contacts in every shop, on every shift, in every factory uh, that's represented by a union, let alone the majority of workplaces at this point that aren't unionized. So what our top priority is as far as the Vermont AFL-CIO goes over the next two years is to build a network of local union contacts in every single shop and every single shift that we represent folks here in Vermont. So we see this as a way to increase communication. Without communication, you're not going to be able to pull off mass mobilizations. And and also, you're not going to be able to conduct mass education on issues X, Y, or Z. So over a period of two years, we're looking to build this network that would function not as a one-way means of communication, but almost a a two or three way. Imagine that this is a way for the rank and file to communicate up to the leaders. This is a way for the leadership to communicate down to the ranks. I mean, down to the lunchroom level of what it means to be in a union shop. And also, uh, ideally, it's going to be a way for local union leaders to horizontally communicate with each other. Uh, With such a structure in place on a grand scale, on a state scale, on a federal scale, then things like organized general strikes over political issues and social issues become feasible. And even when they're feasible, though, then we still have the political question of, you know, will they be supported by the internationals? Will they be supported by the executive board of the National AFL-CIO? And that's a huge conversation in and of itself. Yeah, it's interesting to me hearing your perspective on this, because my experience with kind of activism um, has been much more of kind of the decentralized and kind of much more recent groups, you know, since Occupy, um, mm-hmm. you're dealing with these these structures that in a lot of cases are, I mean, the AFL-CIO goes back like what, like a century, right? One, one way or the or other. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think um, because of kind of how, uh, shall I say, online, a lot of the discussion about this stuff seems to be organized labor often gets left out. And one of the things that I think is most important when talking about the 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 value that organized labor has in any kind of discussion of a general strike is what happened during the um during the uh the budget uh, uh negotiations or whatever you want to call them in 2019 where you you had um airline workers threatening a general strike that effectively brought an end to a president saber rattling over uh, uh over the budget like it's it's president sarah nelson uh, yeah made headlines over that and that was the right thing to do uh, absolutely to her and would love to see her in a stronger position of leadership in the national level. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. 
Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Well, I'm interested because I, I, I see a lot of potential in, obviously, organized labor has had a lot of problems, particularly in the last, you know, during my lifetime. Um, and I think part of it is what you said earlier. There's, it's not as democratic as it should be at most levels. Um, what you guys have done with uh, United is attempting to reform that, you know, within Vermont. I'm wondering first, how did that kind of come about? You know, 2019 is when you first got got put into office when when the United Slate got put in the, to the office in Vermont. What was kind of the backstory to that? And then my second question is kind of what do you see as necessary to like what what what's what's the fight as you see it to get stuff like that done on a larger scale around the country? So our story in Vermont is probably a lot like the story of organized labor in many different places. Mm-hmm. Our starting point. So in 2017 not that long ago, uh, we had a convention with something like 20 or 25 delegates there. Imagine that, 20 delegates representing, at the time, 10,000, we've grown since then, but 10,000 members. Mm -hmm. And that's called a democracy. So uh, there was a problem, an existential problem. Now, I come out of AFSCME, local 2413 in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. So when I got together with a number of other leaders from different unions, different AFSCME locals, but also United Academics as part of AFT, uh, the building trades, a number of folks, uh, there was a general recognition at the leadership level that something was very wrong. Member participation was weak as can be and things had to change. 
And we continually, as an organization, you know, with some exceptions, hitch our wagon uh, to the shortcomings that are the Democratic Party. So all of these things together led to inactivity, apathy, and, and lack of democracy. So we started going around. We started talking with workers. We started talking with shops across the state. And one of the first things that was striking, people would say, they would know what union they're in, be it APWU or AFSCME or whatever it was. But we'd say, listen, we're talking, we're thinking about running a slate, a progressive slate for office with, to take the AFL-CIO in a new direction. The next thing they would say is, what's the AFL-CIO? Think about that, right? Mm -hmm. Workers involved, some of which were union stewards in their locals didn't even know what the AFL-CIO was. So that was our starting point. It was yeah. an existential crisis of labor. And mind you, during these, uh, what I would call some dark periods, we would often endorse 100 candidates for state house, uh, nearly all of which being Democrats. And then we they would win. They would win their elections. Oh, like Largely, our candidates win. And then we'd get nothing in the state house. Right. There'd be no labor bill. There'd be no advance in a car check, different things for organized labor. And yet we keep repeating the same mistake year in, year out and not figure out that something was wrong. So when we formed the United Slate as a coalition of a number of different unions to recognize it was time for change, we really brought the discussion to the grassroots level. We developed a 10 point program. We call it our little green book. It's now the policy and the uh, platform of the Vermont AFL-CIO. And we ran an organized campaign based on that, right, at a very local level. And here, uh, we did all the things that, you know, you should be doing, the phone calls, the emails, the shop visits, all of this, and created a sense of excitement going into our 2019 convention. Our 2019 convention with over, if I recall, over 105 delegates and alternates uh, was the largest convention we had up here in, in something like 30 plus years. So that was an exciting atmosphere where something was going to be different and something was going to change, right? So we swept, we essentially swept those elections. We won all the seats except for one. We had a follow-up convention in, two, I'm sorry, election in 2020, where we won every single seat. And then in the last election, um, we won all seats uh, except for one, where one person who's a good, good person from the building trades uh, uh, ran but was not part of our state. So uh, the real question is, what have we done in the interim? How are we changing that direction? And how are we changing, trying to seek to change the capacity of labor? And what lessons does it have to the national labor movement, I would suppose? Mm -hmm. So uh, on that front, one of the first things we did is we took money out of our lobbying operation and put it to uh, an organizing department whereby we would hire, and we have hired on-call organizers to assist our affiliates in either new organizing or internal organizing, therefore delivering an actual benefit to our affiliate unions. Now, mind you, we represent just about every sector of workers all across the state, but forever, they've, they've very rarely gotten concrete, measurable acts of solidarity uh, from the Federation as such, right? Because all of the, a lot of, too many of the resources were put into lobbying. And we also took a critical eye towards the Democratic Party and uh, recently, we've instead endorsed the uh, Social Democratic uh, Vermont Progressive Party slates in their runs for state house and, and statewide office in many cases. 
So we, we've done a few things differently. We're continuing to do things differently. We've expanded the size of our executive board. So you, we elect more leaders now. We've more than doubled the size of the delegates afforded to each local. So we could have more rank and file voices present uh, when we're meeting at a convention. And we've taken a strong um, social justice position where we think that organized labor must work very closely in an alliance, form alliances with groups like migrant justice or black perspective or um, uh, environmental organizations like 350.org. And we've done those things, worked on their issues where we have common interests, and we've asked them to support us on our issues uh, where, where they may have some common interests. So those are things that are very different that the national AFLCI is not doing. Other state uh, labor federations largely aren't doing them enough. And we're hoping now to build that out and we're engaged in conversations uh, seeking to form a national progressive caucus within the national AFL-CIO. And I, I think that's so important when you talk about kind of on the national level for progressives, uh, number one, to not not continually kind of reflexively support the Democratic Party when the Democratic Party is is failing uh, progressives, which, you know, we have a perfect case study right now in Congress with the uh, the reconciliation bill. Um, it often does seem like such uh, an insurmountable task just because the inability like a bill, the three point five trillion dollar infrastructure bill is so widely supported by Americans, but it, it just keeps coming down to this tiny number of folks with, uh, you know, financial interests uh, and donors um, who are who are mm -hmm. pushing against something that's widely supported. And I, I feel um, optimistic when I look at state organizations like what y'all are doing and the fact that I can see something building. But I also it, it does it is such a titanic task to imagine translating that on a national scale in a way that actually gets us the things that you know, we we really can't wait for when you're talking about some of this infrastructure stuff, when you're talking about health care, when you're talking about climate justice, like I, I do feel the clock ticking. Um, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. wondering what you see as the hope on the national scale for actually putting some muscle behind the progressive movement. Well, look, it's not just the uh, the issues of the infrastructure bill and the budget bill. It's also the PRO Act, right? The mm -hmm. PRO bill that is language yeah. in the Senate. And, and let's not lose track of the fact that uh, those efforts are all stalling and likely, uh, very likely to fail. And I hope they don't because of Democrats, because the Democratic Party is not united. They ran on a platform saying they were going to do X, Y and Z. And now when they're in a position to carry it out, they are not going to do it. And Joe Manchin, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I call him a class traitor, but I don't think he's ever was part of the working class. Uh, he claims to support the PRO Act, but in the same breath, he, he won't get rid of the filibuster. So, I mean, that's absolute bullshit as far as I'm concerned. So how do we change that? Well, uh, the National AFL-CIO puts millions and millions and millions of dollars into elections. We have gotten so many of these people elected uh, and back them in Arizona and West Virginia, you name it. And then we get nothing back. If we were to take that money instead and put it into a robust new organizing department or a, a recrafted organizing department and actually assign uh, real on the ground organizers in every single state in the country to help our affiliates, to help our state federations and their affiliates to internally organize, to build the kind of network I talk, was talking about before and to be active and build alliances with social justice group, our power would be amplified 
5 million fold. This is the way we do it. Politicians aren't going to do what's right because it's right. Politicians are going to do what's right when they feel so much pressure that they have to do it. Now, the victories that we saw for working people during the Great Depression under FDR, that wasn't just because FDR thought, you know, this is the right thing to do. It's because people were going on strike, because people were organized, because they were scared of revolutionary change in this country. So turn to meaningful, true um, uh, major reforms as a way to blunt that perceived threat that they have. And that's what we got to get back to. Not Our power is never going to grow from people who are wearing ties in Washington. Our power is going to grow based on our solidarity on the shop floor and in our communities. So that's the direction we got to go. And we got to do that rapidly, very rapidly. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It's been clear to me for quite a while, uh, both that the reason workers gain so much in the wake of the Great Depression and the only kind of hope we have for doing that now is um, they have to be scared, you know, to an extent. They have to be scared of of what's arrayed against them, both in its organization uh, and in its ability to disrupt things. Um, and I, uh, I'm wondering what you think people listening, people um, who maybe are not involved in organized labor, like what... 
what it, what do you think people can do to further those ends? Like this is a like when we when we start talking about national level AFL-CIO politics, that's not something I think most people listening feel like they have any kind of ability to influence. Um, what do you think they can influence? What do you think people can be doing to build that kind of capacity? Well, you got to be active and, and you got to engage in the political and social movements. But also most folks, you know, they're going to have a job of some kind. And a lot of folks aren't getting treated the way they should in their job. I don't care if you work in a coffee shop, in a restaurant or in a gas station or in manufacturing. And you could start by organizing with your coworkers to form a union today. You know, you could reach out to a local union to ask for help, or you could do it on your own, frankly. But if we're not organized as working people, and we are the 99%, we are most of the world. If we're not organized amongst ourselves, we're not going to be able to become that expression of power that we need to be in order to create the change. If we're just a collection of individuals, then the ruling class, the wealthy, the powerful, the elite, they're going to have all their ducks in a row to keep us divided and to keep uh, their foot on the pedal of the status quo. So we need to come together. We need to organize. And the natural place to organize is in the workplace, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the natural place to organize. It's also become an increasingly difficult place to organize. We all watch what Amazon did in Bessemer this year, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and that fight is still ongoing to an extent. Um, but it is a, it is a continuing challenge um, to to actually effectively unionize in a lot of the industries where it matters most, you know. Um, sure. Like we have some choke point industries, like we talked about um, aircraft employees that are heavily unionized, thankfully, and that do have a lot of power, as has been demonstrated recently when they when they go to the mat. Um, but I, I, I'm interested in kind of we, we've got, you know, Amazon employees is really one of the areas that I'm looking at where, my God, if, if we could actually if something significant could actually get off the ground and a significant number of those workers could get organized it can make a real difference. Um, but, you know, you've got uh, effectively what are community organizations for the most part going up against, um, you know, Amazon at this point has more resources than most nation states. Yeah, but so do the the Carnegie's and the Rockefeller's and the folks like this. And and Absolutely. And it's always been hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, too long ago in our country, maybe during our grandfather's day, where there was a very good chance you'd be shot or at least beat over the head with a club from the Pinkertons, if you tried to organize. Organizing has never been easy. In countries such as Columbia today, uh, trade unionists are killed at an unbelievable clip almost on a daily basis, and yet still they organize. So I'm not suggesting to any of your listeners that Mm. any of this is easy. What I am suggesting is that it has to happen. It has to happen. And there's different models, too. Like in some places, uh, one of the models that's been effectively used is forming worker centers, right? So that's not a traditional union. It's a center in a city or in a community or in a town where workers can come together and strategize, right, at a, in a location to strategize how to be effective as a group, as a whole, as a class on issues that are important to them, you know, be it economic, be it social, be it um, fighting against racism, whatever it may be. Uh, that's a model that I, I suggest folks could could look into as an alternative way. If uh, for whatever reason you don't feel that 
the time is ripe for a union in your shop today, although it needs to be tomorrow, take a look at Worker Center and see if there's one in your community, get involved. If not, get together a few people and see what it would take to start one where you live. But one way or another, we have to be organized. We have to come together. We cannot just be a collection of individuals. That's a great point um, and useful information. I think kind of the last thing I wanted to get into um, was one of the things I first learned about your organization that you issued a, a solidarity statement back in, I think it was 2019, um, with uh, the YPG and J in Rojava. Um, and you've issued, you know, it stated your solidarity with Black Lives Matter, with uh, the Zapatistas, currently what they're undergoing in, in Mexico, um, which is massive repression from the government yet again. Um, and, you know, your support of Palestinian rights and of uh, against sort of the U.S. occupation or not occupation, but a blockade of Cuba. Um, what do you see when we're talking about this struggle, this broad struggle we've been talking about all day? What do you see as the role of internationalism in both in both organizing um, people and organizing resistance? Well, our starting point today is capital is international. So if mm -hmm. we're going to have a foundational challenge to the power of capital, we also have to be internationalists in our outlook. We supported the YPG and the YPJ and uh, the newly elected government in Rojava because they are struggling for economic equity and a direct participatory democracy in that corner of the world. And we see this as the most significant revolution in, in the world uh, in generations. I mean, this, in, in our mind, is on par with the Spanish Civil War and what we saw around Barcelona and the CNT then, or the Paris Commune of 1871. If this was happening in Europe, a day wouldn't go by where this wouldn't be front page news. But in the Western world, uh, we often, uh, the corporate media turns a blind eye to many of those struggles. So they're doing their part. And we have to do our part in our country, too. The Zabatistas are doing their part in Chiapas and in broader ways in, in some regards in Mexico as such. But we need to reach our hand out in encouragement and say, hey, we're here to support you. Uh, one of the things we sought to concretely do in the Vermont labor movement is in 2019, one of our central labor councils passed a resolution in support. We said, look, if you are, go over to fight, and volunteer with the YPG and YPJ, because there's thousands of volunteers right uh, there who have volunteered to go over. If you return and you're American, we'll hook you up with a union job and we'll hook you up with three months of room and board. So you could get reacclimated, you could get back into the community and get back into the local fight through the labor movement. And we were proud to actually uh, have an opportunity to do that for one returning American fighter. In our latest resolution in 2021, and this one was uh, broader because it was the whole Vermont AFL-CIO, not just the Central Labor Council, we again offered, uh, we encourage folks to feel so inclined if they're in that place in their life to volunteer with the YPG and YPJ. And if they're Americans and they come back, we're happy to hook you up. We'll do our best to get you a good union job when you return. So we felt that was a very small, least we could do kind of thing, but concrete way to provide solidarity. Uh, we all have to stand together. It's really one fight, but the place we're going to be effective is where you live locally, in your town, in your city, in your state, and in your country. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on and a great thing that you all are doing, and I, I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate you, David, coming on and talking to us today. Um, is there anything else you wanted to, to, to get out or anything you wanted to, like any you know, charities or, or, or mutual aid funds or whatever you wanted to uh, 
push before we kind of roll out today? I just like to push for folks to go to work tomorrow and, and organize. Organize with your fellow workers and let's change the world. Solidarity. Thank you, David. Robert Evans here, and I wanted to ask for your help. There is a Portland-area woman, Ruba Tamimi. She's an Arabic interpreter and a Palestinian liberation activist, and she is trying to save her home at the moment. Uh, she's got a GoFundMe. If you go to Save Ruba's House, R-U-B-A, on GoFundMe, you'll find it. Uh, Save Ruba's House on GoFundMe. If you've got a few bucks, um, she could really use it. Again, Save Ruba's House, R-U-B-A, at GoFundMe. Thanks. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.